Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Movie, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. When you're old and lonely, you will wish you'd married me. I could build a fire for you and bring you cakes and tea. When you're cold and hungry, I'll be waiting by the phone. You can call me up and tell me how you're. Hello, and welcome to the Film Stage Show. Uh, our usual host, Brian Rowan, is sick this week, so I'm going to be filling in as host. And today we are going to be talking about Pedro, Pedro Elmodovar's. Uh, first film since uh, Julieta, uh, back in um, back in the uh, 2016. I, I knew it was recent. <laughs> back in 2016, and we're going to be talking about his film, uh, Pain and Glory. Uh, today, I have our uh, my usual co-host, uh, Mr. Bill Graham. Woo, 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 woo. And I'm very excited to say that we have uh, as a guest. Uh, Manuel uh, Betancourt. Hello, everyone. I did, so, Manuel, can you just tell us uh, briefly a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a Colombian-born uh, film critic and writer based out of Los Angeles. Nice. Oh, f- fantastic. Well, we're happy to have you on and um, happy to talk about this film. Uh, but first, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, we are, as always, uh, sponsored by Mubi, the uh, film service that has 30 films for 30 days. Um, there is a extremely wide selection on Mubi at any given time. Uh, at the moment, there's everything from John Waters' Cecil Be Demented to Rob Zombie to... Uh, uh, to uh, Travis Wilkerson's Did You Wonder Who Fired the Gun? So it, it, it is always a, uh incredible variety. And I, I can just, speaking for myself, I have always found a film I've watched on it at least rewarding. Um, today's film, though, is, is an exclusive, and it's called M from director Yolanda Zauberman. Uh, Yolanda Zauber and the uh, logline is uh, Yolanda Zauberman's documentary is a bracing investigative expose on a personal level, a deeply wrought story of one man's heartbreaking trauma and confrontation with his past. The film shockingly finds new victims inside a deeply private community. That sounds like that might be a traumatic or <laughs> might be a difficult view. But uh, I'm nonetheless interested in it. But um, yeah, M- Mubi's fantastic, and we thank them for their continued sponsorship. Um, but now on to uh, this week's main proceedings, which is the film Pain and Glory. Um, it- it's been in limited releases for a few months. I believe it's expanded to about 60 different theaters across the country. Uh, across the U.S., I should say. I know we have uh, foreign listeners. Um, but it is a auto-fictional 
a film about a uh, an ailing director who is trying to find his his passion for filmmaking again and uh, dealing with migraines and anxiety and all kinds of fun physical ailments and also living in the past. Um, so, uh, B- Bill Graham, why don't you go first? Do you, what are your kind of initial thoughts about Pain and Glory? Um, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, you know, I, I think at the outset, we should definitely mention that uh, we had already recorded this, and due to a technical snafu, uh, we are doing this the next day. So if we sound a little kind of jumpy and a little kind of uh, punchy, as as we usually do, uh, you know, Brian usually kind of mentions that uh, we get agitated a little bit and you know uh all of that so uh just understand that you know we've we already had a pretty healthy discussion of it so we're going to try and kind of use that as an outline um that Bill, you're said, not following the script yeah I, as a director i'm obviously <laughs> failing <laughs> well i'm i'm high on cocaine instead of the heroin you, you want um but Uh, That being said, I really enjoyed this movie. I did not know what to expect kind of coming in. Um, All I knew was that it starred Antonio Banderas as kind of maybe a sort of pseudo uh, Almodovar kind of uh, stand-in and that it was going to be very retrospective, but also that it was going to kind of go down some some interesting paths. Uh, uh, Heroin was one of them that I had heard mentioned that was uh, quite uh, stunning when when he first does his first bump of heroin, and you're like, whoa, oh, oh, oh. It's this movie. Okay. I guess we're going down this path, which is, you know, it's a well-trod path for Almodovar if, if you're familiar with his works. Um, but that being said, if you are not familiar with his works, this film does a perfectly good job of easing you into his kind of groove and his kind of uh, tone Uh it's very technicolor bright. It's got a lot of pop punch to it. Um, it's got a five minute sequence where he kind of the director uh, that's played by Antonio Banderas Salvador kind of recants all of his physical ailments in this great graphical uh, kind of montage. Um, and it's it's just a delight. I unfortunately saw it in a pretty empty theater uh i saw it at a weird time i just happened to have the day free um and so i saw it at about two o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday and there was four other people in the in the theater with me but um all of us heartily laughed and and you know had a lot of fun uh throughout the film um but yeah if you are unfamiliar with Almodovar this film still has so much to enjoy and if you are very familiar with him i'm sure there will be even more to enjoy it's it's kind of one of those kind of comic booky things maybe um this one's definitely a good uh softball pitch but you know it's got a lot of the kind of stuff around the edges that people that are very familiar with his works are going to pick up on and and dig and enjoy um yeah 
we're, we're getting dangerously close to what does Amadovar think about Marvel, <laughs> but I, I am Jesus just here as far away from I, that. <laughs> yes. Uh, pull that emergency brake and uh, hard ride. Exactly. Please. Yeah. Uh, uh, Manuel, what are, what are your initial thoughts? I, I'm one of those people who has been following Amadovar's career for um, decades now, and I, I've seen all his films. So this was a movie, you know, tailor-made for me. Um, but even still, I came even, I came out even more, more impressed uh, by it. This is a movie I, I love. I, I think it's a lovely love letter to his own cinema and to his own um, male muse. Right, he's worked with Antonio Banderas before, but I think. Sure. The two manage such uh, a beautiful performance that's raw and that's vulnerable and that's funny and that's silly. Um, and I think it allows Banderas to play all these notes that I think a lot of people who know him from, you know, his Hollywood output may not may not know that he can play. Um, and so it was revelatory, even for me, who has seen all his Amorovar collaborations. I think it's a, it, it's a lovely film for film lovers also because i think it's uh, at its at its core one of the things that it's asking and that it's interrogating is um what do we get out of cinema how does it nourish us how does it help us understand ourselves how does it help us heal um and for a movie that's really about a director in his twilight years who's sort of stuck in the past in very uh, sort of literal ways um I think it has a lovely message about what does it mean to keep going even when your body is failing you and even when you are sort of so sick of um, what you've been doing. So I I love this. Costumes are beautiful. The cinematography is divine. The score is lush. Um, and I can say this about any other Almodover movie, but I think this one in particular has something very, very special that we haven't seen in a long time from him. Yeah, I, I'm gonna co-sign both of you in the sen- in the sense that I think uh, this is this is a really uh, major film, and I, I think it's one that uh, with more and more thought, you realize how kind of subtly ingenious it, it is. Uh, it, it is fascinating. We've kind of uh, talked a little bit about how you know this is kind of playing in. Uh, playing in the past for Almodovar. I, I mean, from the themes he's playing with, whether it's drug use, whether it's uh, the kind of uh, inception of desire, or, uh, or or just simply his interest in uh, his interest in in aging and in time and how that, you know, warps people. I I think those are, it's interesting because those are all things that have been throughout his career, but to see them configured uh, so, so like gracefully within this film is just, it's, it's 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 almost magical <laughs> because it's it's mm-hmm. bringing in so many ideas that we've seen and you know like Antonio Banderas as well like he he really is bringing a vulnerability here and a uh, and a willingness to commit to this character without 
without making him, you know, an easy caricature of a bitter director or or uh, making him some, you know, method study of, of a drug addict or something like this film is far too elusive, but it's it's also emotionally direct in, in a way that. I, I guess he's been pushing towards more. I mean, Julieta was certainly a more emotionally direct as a as a mother and daughter story, but a, a lot of his films, even this decade, have this you know inflection point that it, it seems to it seems to sprawl out in dozens of directions. So so to see him kind of pare down this story to just uh, you know slice of life leisurely pace thing is is something really incredible and um one quote that i just want to want to bring up that i really like is uh, early in the film this uh surrogate for almodovar is speaking to an actress who we worked with earlier and um he's speaking about one of uh the fictional character's major films which is known as sabor um and he has not watched this film for years until a, a recent retrospective within the fiction of the film. And uh, he, he talks about how he had such a different experience with it. And this actress like really sharply says, you know, the film has stayed the same. It's your eyes that have changed. And, and I think that is ultimately a good thesis statement and a good kind of start to us discussing this film. Um, so it sounds like uh, Bill and Man- Manuel, you guys are definitely coming at Almodovar from different directions. Bill, it sounds like you've had a few experiences with Almodovar, but uh, maybe not, uh, maybe haven't kept up with them as much. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I started with the skin I live in. So, um, you know, it, a hell of a first film. <laughs> jump, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> jumping off into the deep end for sure. Um, but you know, it's it's been fun to kind of follow his trajectory over the last few years because that was really when I kind of came into my own as as a film watcher um, within the last decade or so, and so that was the film that that I caught up with initially. And he's definitely been a name that I've been aware of, but I haven't been able to kind of go back and, and really find the time to uh, seek out his his past works like I should have. Um, so, you know, it wasn't intentional that we were going to do sure. these back to back, but my suggestion to do... Uh, uh, tie me up, tie me down was spawned just simply because I had known that Antonio was in that and in this, and I wanted to get some early Antonio to kind of pepper in the the amount of '90s action <laughs> shit that he's in. Um, you know, and and some of that output is is pretty good. We we already raved about the Mask of Zorro. Um, and you know, there's, there's some other kind of, uh, highlights sure. in there, but for the most part, he, he was an, a action kind of superstar that was based mostly around his looks, not necessarily his acting ability. Um, and I remember a lot of, a lot of 
scoffs at his sheer acting ability early on when he was in Hollywood. Um, you know, he kind of broke onto the scene with uh, Desperado, but then, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, he followed it up with uh, Assassins, which, you know, paired him up with someone like Sylvester Stallone, which is not exactly the, the highlight of, of anybody's career, more than likely, you know. Um, all, all respect to Sir, Sir Sly, but uh, <laughs> not exactly our, our finest actor. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, uh, it, it's been interesting to see his career path, and so that's why I wanted to do Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and then this tied right into uh, this film. And in fact, I guess now I'm just realizing that all my Almodovar films have had Antonio <laughs> Banderas at different points in his career, um, which is really interesting. But yeah, um, that's, that's where sure. I was kind of coming at Almodovar from. Um, just kind of light peppering of, of his kind of, uh, most well-known works, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, this film just makes me desperate to go seek out more of his works. And I'm sure that's, that's, you know, ultimately what anybody would want as a, you know, what is this? His 25th or some, some decades into his career. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's a Marvel, he's a Marvel timeline unto himself, you know, uh, incredible. So, um, I think anyone that's making a, a 26th, 28th, you know, 30th film, if that kind of film inspires people to look backwards, I think it's definitely a success. Yeah. I, there is yeah there it's kind of fascinating that we pick tie me up tie me down because it is it's in a way in conversation with this film and the skin i live in as there was 22 years yeah i I think i have this right there's 22 years between tie me up tie me down and the skin i live in and now this is a return with antonio um and it's like it's hard not to think about uh, that relationship. I, I mean, I I was actually reading a, a wonderful interview with uh, there, there's two wonderful Almodovar interviews that came out recently. One is with uh, Bill Gay uh, Beery at uh, Vulture, and the other is at Film Comment with um with uh, Carlos. Uh, Reviergeo. I'm so sorry that I butchered that name, but it's they're both fantastic interviews. But it's very interesting to hear Almodovar be uh, essentially say that uh, around the time of Skin I Live In, he wasn't sure if Antonio, you know, still had the stuff <laughs> that he would, um, <laughs> you know, like even as he'd been a superstar in Hollywood and been married to Melanie Griffith and, you know, had become his own form of royalty, like Almodovar uh, wondered whether he could really give him what he needed. I, and I think thinking about that relationship and then the the, such the the triumphant performance of the skin I live in, and now this one, which I, I haven't seen all of Antonio Banderas's films, but I think I I wouldn't have much compunction calling this his best performance. Um, and I I think that what makes this film uh, ultimately so interesting is the way that you know it does. You know, it's it's almost a, a magpie in the sense of how it's bringing in so many different aspects of the past, 
but ultimately then, you know, that's not for nostalgia's sake. It, it It's to tell something much more powerful about the past and letting go of that. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I, I really am blown away by this film and, um, and the ways that it, uh, it subtly like comes around and specifically, uh, specifically focuses on the, the things you wouldn't expect it to. So like, uh, do we want to get right into spoilers right now, guys, or do you guys want to talk about any individual scenes beforehand or do you want to jump right in? I think going going full in is a does a better service of the film and the conversation that we're going to have because I think it's once you start peeling it and the more detail we can get into it, I think the the, the better the the conversation is going to be. Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. So I, yes, I um, uh, Bill, do you want to take the synopsis again, or do you want me to take over? Sure, I'll, I'll kind of uh, run through it. Um, so I guess. The, the key part of, of this film is, is to understand that uh, the tie-in for Almodovar or the, the stand-in for Almodovar is, uh, is I can't remember. Salvador Mayo. Yeah, Salva, Salvador Mayo. Um, and that's played by Antonio Banderas. And, and so you, you haven't really given like a, uh, a general synopsis of the film or kind of like the trajectory so far, right, Mike? No, I, I mostly just said it's about an ailing director, but I, yeah. I, I think it's it's fair to say that it it revolves around some flashbacks that he continually goes back to, and two mm-hmm. very important relation. I, I'd say three yeah. very important relationships in his life. So so basically, there's a, a a film that he made about 25 years ago or about 35 years ago called Sabor yeah. and it was this big hit film uh widely critically acclaimed and and had a lot of popularity and he really didn't like the film um he had a feud a famous feud with this actor named Alberto um that he basically hasn't spoken to or seen since making the film since the premiere um and there's there's a, a retrospective kind of happening at a local theater that they're uh, doing a new print of this film called Sabor. And so they're interested in having Alberto and Salvador at the Q&A, obviously, right? Um, why Even not? though it's widely um, known that they do not get along. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, you know, whether that's instigation or not, who knows? Uh, but, I mean, certainly that's something that a film festival would do or you know a, a theater would do as a reason for for people to show up even more so you know to maybe see some sparks fly but or maybe just you know it's exclusive content right and we're all in the content game these days and so you know that's that's hot fresh content when you can get those two people back together and it's like let's talk to these people they probably haven't seen each other in a while um, that would certainly draw a crowd. Um, I don't like this movie so, anymore. It's about content. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Salvador uh, reluctantly decides to drop by unannounced to Alberto's uh, house. And, uh, you know, 
as you would expect, Alberto is just like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, I haven't seen you in 35 years. The last time I saw you, you were not very happy with me. And as we learn, Salvador is very outspoken and very, very blunt about his feelings and his attitudes towards certain things. Um, he's almost that prototypical director, right? He's he's outspoken, but maybe because of his ailments, he's not as um, vivacious. He's not as... Uh, um, prolific. Anim- animated. Well, yeah, prolific as well. Um, and so as the film kind of unfolds, um, we learn a little bit more about Salvador and his his you know his relationship to the past. But basically, Alberto invites him in. They kind of have a little bit of an icebreaker, and to break the ice even further, Alberto does what he normally would do on you know a, a normal day. He <laughs> decides to smoke a little bit of heroin, and of course, Salvador, looking over, asks if he can try some. And Alberto cautiously says, okay, you know, <laughs> have at it. And through this, we start to get flashbacks towards Salvador's past. And it's not quite clear whether this is directly related to the heroin use, which he continues to further do down the line, or if this is just the narrative device that um, Pedro Almodovar has kind of uh, used to transition to these scenes. Um, either way, he kind of dozes off and uh, you know is awoken back by uh, Alberto, and then they kind of have a little bit of a cachet now um something to kind of talk about something to kind of revolve around and they spark up a little bit more of a friendship um and the film kind of continues to progress through these kind of modes where we are continuing to see salvador and alberto's relationship and salvador's relationships to other people kind of evolve while we also see these flashback sequences of his childhood and how he was brought up, um, you know, by the lovely Penelope Cruz. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because the film takes a lot of turns and, and pivots that you wouldn't quite expect. And everything is centralized around kind of Salvador's, uh, life and and where what his trajectory is moving forward um everything kind of relates back to this kind of central theme and that's that's kind of you know the overall synopsis of this film without kind of going into the more spoilery details which of course you know now that we're in spoilers we're gonna going to do but yeah that's kind of the the rough outline of the film initially yeah, I, I think I, I, it's strange to say because it, it's uh, what's interesting about this film is, you know, even though it's just day in, day out, like I I honestly do think that synopsis you gave is, is really important. Like I, that's what's interesting to me about this film is the way that things that seem minor turn out to be extremely significant by the end and things that are uh, that seem to be significant or, you know, would be climactic are ultimately small and and just are, uh, you know, on the path to larger revelations and and things like that. Uh, Well, the the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, like, I I, I guess we kind of have to start with the 
the, the drug use. And I want to like dispel any notions that, you know, this isn't like an addiction film. Like addiction is part of it, but it's not in any way, you know, a, a, a film where you're seeing, you know, Antonio Banderas with the needle and these sorted, you know, flop houses <laughs> or anything. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more radical than that. And I, I, I mean, maybe I'll well, stop there as a, as a point, but please, Manuel, go ahead. I, I was going to say, it's a lot more European than that. Sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one, one of the things is, I, I, I rarely think about the heroine when I think of this movie. And I, I, I think part of it is because it's presented so, it's such a mundane sure. sort of mm-hmm. run of the mill. And the, the movie doesn't really want you to pay attention to it, right? Like it never has those moments about this is an addiction story or this is, oh, this is a warning or this is a way in which he somehow learns to overcome the, the, the drug is sort of incidental and the drug sort of becomes this socializing, right? They might yeah. as well be smoking or they might as well be sort of drinking. So I feel like even the movie lets you know that this is, these are adults making choices um, and I, in, in a way that does feel radical, because I think we are, especially in the, in the United States, like sure. these like say no to drugs. And so <laughs> that whenever a drug needs to come on, come on screen, like even though we don't have Reagan or even though we don't have the mo- motion picture production code, like I think our, our immediate response is always like, oh, then we're going to be told that things are going to be bad or they're going clutching to our pearls. To not, <laughs> yeah. And so to not see that and to just be like, this is just something that he does and then something that he buys or attempts to buy and something that he then eventually lets go um, is sort of part and parcel of this, uh, these days that we're spending with him, but that don't really amount to much in a way. Um, even if they, at the beginning, it seems like they are going to frame um, the story that unfolds. You know, it, it it is really interesting that you like mentioned socialization. Cause I, it's not that I disagree with that, but I think there's something really fascinating in the way that his relationship with heroin is, is one, this is his first time doing it late in his life. And you are right. It is incidental. It is, you know, mundane, but it is also something that enables his, you know, creative paralysis. It, it, it enables him to, you know, kind of sit in a room. And even when he does talk to Alberto, um, you know, it, it's only to kind of, you know, get a connect for the heroine. And, you know, like, I, I mean, the heroine is part and parcel with the way that he smashes up all of his medication and puts it into the water. It, like, mm. those are those are considered, like, total parallels yeah, that, in its own way. Th- that sequence, I I was real real scared that uh, he was about to snort it, and I was just like, but I mean, even like let's let's take sure. a step back. Like maybe, you know, I, I take allergy medicine sometimes uh, when I'm not taking Zyrtec pills, right? And I snort that, <laughs> right? It's it's obviously a little bit of a different kind of thing, but ultimately they're getting into your system. I I'm not sure what what snorting pills that you're supposed to be taking necessarily does versus just ingesting it. Sure. I'm not sure like 
But obviously, if you have ever taken a shit ton of pills in your life, like, you know, more than a handful, uh, you know that it's kind of a bitch to swallow. Um, and as we learn, he has a little bit of an ailment that makes it particularly difficult for him to swallow sure. as well. So crushing the pills and then putting them in his uh, liquid yogurt, <laughs> I think is what he calls it, um, is, you know, seems seems relatively normal. Um, why someone else isn't doing that for him, why he has to do that every day, I'm not sure when he also has a lady that basically cooks him tacos that he can't eat. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting because that is one of those sequences very early on in the film without a lot of context that just it just starts with a blank, you know, uh, table and him crushing up some pills very aggressively, like not just like, oh, I'm just going to kind of. Cr- mm-hmm. No, he he crushes them. He kind of sifts them around, sees that's not going to quite do it, and then crushes them even more. And you're just like, oh, my God, he's he's really gone for it. And then you realize it's just for, like, indigestion, and it's some pain pills, and it's for his insomnia and, like, all these other ailments that he has, uh, which, you know, yeah, I guess – it, it it is it is definitely one of those knowing smirking moments from Almodovar to kind of put it in the in the way that he does in the timeline that he does without any context right it's like oh man you just saw him snorting uh you know smoking heroin and sure. now he's he's off the deep end <laughs> crushing pills and it's like no nah, that's his everyday well, I, th- <laughs> I, I think too that's that's a great establishment of just the interest in aging in the film. I mean, he's not shy about putting stand-ins, you know, going back to, if we want to go back to Time Me Up, Time Me Down, uh, you know, for our recent podcast, there's, you know, a, a very uh, lecherous director, <laughs> yes, director in a in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. And, you know, going back to... Would turn yes, signals. Would turn signals. <laughs> that's correct. And you know, going back to that interview I, I mentioned briefly, he talked as well about his fear about, you know, he deals with migraines and anxiety and some of these maladies that this stand-in does. But he also talked about his his general fear about you know being about just not being able to get up to film. He, he made a comparison to John Huston on the dead who I, I wasn't aware that he actually uh, shot the whole film um, on, in a wheelchair, which is a, a, a fascinating tidbit and, and is, and feels all the more powerful knowing that there's something even more potent to me um, about the, the aging material in here. But I, I think that the other thing I want to kind of shift into as we're talking about aging is the way this film handles past romances. And uh, in particular, I want to talk about uh, Frederico, who is played by uh, Leonardo Sabara. Uh, Sar- oh my. Sabaraglia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Manuel, I, I did, was, did not pronounce that well <laughs> at all. As we no, that's, a, that's good. It's a, it's a hard name. It's a hard name to pronounce. Um, well, speaking, speaking of Federico, and one of the things that I, yeah. that, you know, in talking about how Almodovar pilfers from his own sort of films and he's pilfering from his own life, I think the, the, the nexus of thinking about past loves and thinking about aging I think in a way for me puts this film in conversation with um, something like bad education, which yes. I think in an, in a different world, had he made it earlier would have starred Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Like I think even when I watched it in 2004, I was like, Oh, this is obviously a film that where Antonio younger, he would have cast him. Um, and he was already sort of a, hearkening back to Law of Desire. And he's talked about how Pain and Glory is sort of like a capper of this sort of trilogy about these three different films that all follow male directors wrestling with, you know, their own films. But in education, as in here, it's about an old lover sort of coming back and how that changes um, sort of your own idea. And about... And I think this is one of the things that Almodovar does so well, and specifically in that scene when we get to sort of meet this old lover of his that he's written um, sort of a monologue piece about um, that's now being performed. Um, and then Federico comes and visits him after sort of recognizing himself in this in this piece, even though he's not sort of name-checked um, by his actual name. In this name. piece of subterfuge. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that scene, that, that scene when they're sort of like reuniting and reminiscing, I think there's such tenderness and I think there's such, uh, a way in which the desire that they had for one another is still sort of alive, but has changed and has sort of, uh, morphed into something more mature, but also harder to define as we learn Federico is now married and has a son. So he... And read this a throwaway line that he says, you know, after you, I was done with men. Um, that there's a sense that they, even the way the characters in Almodovar's films understand desire um, has little to do with labels and has little to do with sort of identities, right? They never use words like gay or bisexual. They're really just sure. drawn to one another. And I think mm-hmm. in that scene with Federico that ends in one of the most, I think, sensual and erotic passionate kisses um, in his filmography or maybe in cinema in general, um, you really get that, that this is sort of like beyond homosexuality or beyond sexuality itself, that this is about these sort of like these two souls who found one another at a specific time and have grown apart, but that there's this sort of deep connection. Um, And to see the two actors really play that and just sort of throw themselves at it um, I, I think is one of the highlights of the uh, of the movie for me. I, I, it's truly incredible too that that's that's pretty much a single scene, and he's able to make such an impression. Um, uh, Federico mm. is, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I I completely agree that there's just a a, a sense of, of a lived in quality to that scene, and just a an, an ache to it mm. that you know 
that when he, you know, starts descending in that elevator, like even though he invites him to come see his family and, you know, he says something cheeky like, you know, later I'll tell my son that I had, you know, a relationship with you. He's such a big film fan. And, and, and that I think goes back to, again, that like beyond queerness thing, like homophobia is not something that exists in mm. in this scenario which is you know lovely on its its own terms but when he's descending in that elevator you know that even though he is explicitly invited you know that's that's the end like they they could have you know had one last uh one last night together but in in the end they're going to end with that that kiss and and, and just the way that that works is 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 fabulous, but I, I think it's I think it goes back to one of the ways that I think this is really different. I, I mean, you even bad education, and and I love bad education, but it it is still very much based on this idea of imposters. It's based mm. on oh, this character who you think is this character is actually. Is, is it the brother? Yeah, it's the brother. And, you know, it's it's re- relations that are unseen from the outside. And this is so has so much clarity. There, there's no there's no sense of um, a, a frills around it. Like these emotions are, are so raw. Uh, and it's 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 interesting to see Almodovar talk about how scared he was making this film because it it doesn't have those things that could potentially distract you from how tender those moments are. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that, I think that even comes through in Banderas' performance and Antonio's performance, because he is, there's a, there's a slowness to him right like he walks in sort of very deliberate ways he's always sort of like half-lidded and sort of um very methodical about how he walks and how he moves and there's a a slowness as an awaitness um there's a weight to him and the way he sort of he moves in the world which i think knowing that he's playing Almodovar sort of gives you a sense of how it colors the the performance but i think the other thing that it calls back to is like we know Antonio from when he was young, like, and we know Antonio, how charming and how active and how beautiful. And especially if you've seen, mm. you know, Tie Me Up or Tie Me Down, or you've seen sure. Matador, or you've seen Women on the Verge, uh, or sure. Law of Desire, where he's playing an imposter <laughs> who is sort of madly and murderously in love with a film director. Um, so he gets to play the other side this time. So if you've known him in that vitality, I think seeing him so restrained and seeing him so um, moving with such deliberateness, I think really pulls into perspective sort of the aging aspect and sort of that this is a person who is both so uncomfortable in their own body, right? And he, as you said, Bill, that wonderful sequence where he sort of describes his ailments all i kept thinking was like oh dear god how does he even wake up every day like how do you even how do you go yeah. on yeah it, it it definitely stacks the deck against him when when the first like handful you're kind of like oh 
you know, he's he's got some stuff. And then by like 10 or 11, you're just like, oh, my God, like no wonder he hasn't made a film in a while. And no wonder like he specifically hasn't like had the desire to be creative uh, because he just doesn't know if he's got that kind of willpower sure. on a day to day basis. And more than likely, he doesn't want to start a production and then get, you know, a third of the way through and just be like, nope. Just give up. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not coming to set today. And, you know, have all of that kind of tied down to him. Um, you know, it's it's fascinating how, you know, over the years I've heard so many directors talk about so many directors, so many writers, so many uh, actors they all have this same imposter syndrome where they just think halfway through their failure. This is the worst thing that they've ever made. This is going to go nowhere. Sure. And yet every single day they show up and they, you know, put in the work and eventually they're recognized for, you know, the great greatness that they have or maybe the shittiness you know there's there's stuff like uh what is it the 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 awards what, what are those awards the not the rotten tomato oh awards. are you talking about razzies, the razzies? <laughs> yeah there's the razzies oh and, yikes you know, i'm sure i'm sure antonio has had his fair share of, of nominations for those as well uh if not even you know an award or two um, Life but, itself was last year, so I think that's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's fascinating, but I mean, really, what we start to learn about Salvador is that he's had a lot of things happen to him in a very brief span of time within the last few years. Uh, four years ago or so, he lost his mother. Um, and then about two years after that, uh, two years prior to the film, he had his upper backs, uh, a couple of his vertebrae uh, fused. And so he's very stiff and very ginger in the way that he moves around. Um, there's there's this great sequence where he keeps uh, his illicit drugs in this one co uh, container in this like beautiful dresser that he has. Um, but he has to put a pillow down every single time before he kneels down. And it, I remember listening to a podcast with some some older film critics, Alonzo Duralde uh, among them, and he was saying, "I feel so seen, <laughs> <laughs> like like putting a pillow down before I get down on you know these beautiful wood floors or whatever you have." It's like, yeah, they're not cushy, like you know. It's not carpet, so I need to put something down before I, I put my skin in the game, you know? Um, it's, it's fascinating to think about. Um, but it's also fascinating to think about how that relates to the way he interacts in this world because he seems to move very gingerly, even more so than maybe he would have five years ago. Um, and I think that's directly related to his spinal fusion and just you know acting that out um but then it also involves him like not wanting to have sex in this scenario where federico is is clearly and verbally offering it to him you know saying do you want to have do you want me to stay with you tonight and have you know one last kind of sex capade and you know let's <laughs> 
and and so it's interesting to see that contrast because you could imagine maybe five years ago he would have said fuck mm-hmm. yes but now because of his his physical ailments that aren't just you know mental or not just okay let me go take this pill and I'll go be I'll be fine no he knows that maybe he's not as limber as he used to be maybe you know all of this sure there's there's a touch that you you sense that Federico would be uh compassionate but also it wouldn't be what their memory is right and so maybe that's why they leave it at a passionate kiss because they can do that as well as they ever could right but the other things maybe they can't do as well as they used to be able to um and so maybe that's that's part of the reason why he leaves it where he does because he doesn't want to admit that he has you know this physical disability that's preventing him to from living the life that he kind of wants to live. Um, but I think the other thing that's so patch, so so beautiful about that sequence is that it's like not but a few moments after they kiss and they have this big send-off that he immediately starts to put his shit together. It's right before he invites Federico up that he actually goes to the medicine cabinet, gets out the heroin, and looks at it, thinks twice about it, and then dumps it down the toilet. Um, You know, he wants to be sober. He wants to be fully alive when he meets Federico to you know reminisce about their past about their history they haven't seen each other in years and decades um and so after that moment he immediately calls his assistant mercedes uh god bless her and uh he asks that she set up the appointments with the doctors that he's basically said yeah yeah i've made appointments with them you know and now he's like no, I, I do actually do need to make a follow-up appointment. Like, let's go see these people. Um, let's go figure out what's going on. And from there, he, you know, just knocks down dominoes and dominoes and dominoes. He gets his throat fixed. He gets back on pain meds for his back. Uh, they figure out, he admits that he's doing heroin. And the doctor is like, <laughs> okay. That changes things a little bit. Let me uh, get you some some stuff that will, uh, you know, kind of help you to wean off of it. Um, and yeah, it, it it and by the end of the film, it is revealed that there's a film within the film that all these flashbacks that we have seen, um, they didn't just hire Penelope Cruz, you know, off the street. No, no, she's an actress, you know, uh, playing his mother, Yacinta. Um, and, you know, there's a younger boy and it's revealed in this beautiful way where they're uh, sitting in this bus station and uh, the film pans back just a little bit to see a boom mic and then just a little bit more and then you see the boom mic operator and you see uh all these other you know set people around uh on on that particular set and then it pans over and you see salvador with his uh 
he's I think he calls cut and then he removes his his uh, headphones and you know it's one of those things where you just wonder is is all of this flashback yeah we'll, we'll leave that here I, I think I've I've been speaking for a little bit I want y'all to you know jump in and, and add some commentary to this before we we go too far Manuel, please, I mean, please go ahead. I'll ju- I'll jump in because yeah, I, I I do think that it it it's the sort of the final turn of the film that I think once you've sort of settled and been like oh, okay, so we've been following sort of Salvador day in and out, have these like sort of duets with other characters, right? It's either him and an actress, him and an actor, him and a lover, um, sure. and then we've been experiencing these flashbacks. And you're sort of like, oh, okay, I get, I, I see it. It's sort of very simple. It's sort of very spare, very minimalist. And then in that final turn, when you're like, oh, what we've been watching could actually, it's basically the film that he's been sort of directing. And again, that's what reminds me always of Bad Education because it's, it's that same turn where you realize that what you've been watching is not the flashbacks that you thought you were watching, but actually cinematic recreations of them. And I think it it begins to color everything we've seen because it adds sort of another layer because then you start thinking, okay, so did everything that we see happen exactly as it did or have they been sort of uh, refurbished cinematically? And I think one of the things you immediately notice and that you immediately know whenever you're watching any Almodovar film is that all of his spaces feel so they're so beautiful and the production design is just so obvious and so extravagant and so um, colorful and bright and there's all these like wallpapers and um, textures and you you mentioned that his his home in this film is actually is actually Almodovar's home with this with these paintings that you know uh, you know make it a museum given how many different art pieces he has so it's yes I, I, and, and actually i i yeah. i wanted to like double check that that information was correct so there's all the pieces all the artwork and all the sculptures that are in salvador's plays are replicas from almodovar's oh, own apartment replicas. own apartment okay so and that he actually lent antonio his own clothes and his own shoes um, so there's, I love those shoes. Yeah, yeah, right. And I remember you said like that you were so, so those are actual Pedro shoes. And I think in knowing those things is like, there's a really thin line that Almodovar is sort of straddling between what was, what's fiction and what's real. And he really wants you to start sort of complicating that. And so and realizing that mm-hmm. for Almodovar, like all of his memories are already cinematic, right? All those spaces sure. that we've been to when we see him as a kid, this like beautiful um, house in sort of this like white cave that him and his family live in when he was younger. Um, as you're watching it at the beginning of the film, you're just like, oh, it's just so beautiful and so strange and so weird. And later when you see that it has been a film, you're like, well, oh, that, that sort of makes sense. He's sort of like made it even more he sort of stylized it and sort of explains how it works within the fiction of this film um but the 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 thin line between what we remember as ourselves and what we remember in terms of um what has become cinema i think is is central to the film and it's central to sort of almodovar's sort of entire life 
Like he's always joked about how um, all the movies that he watched as a kid, right, um, sort of became his own memories. That that's sort of how he sure. learned to understand himself. That cinema was sort of the way to um, the way he grew up and the way he learned about himself. And Pain and Glory becomes sort of a uh, another yet another embodiment of that for me. Well, and you know, this uh, I mentioned it last night, but. Uh, this is one of those ways that this film directly ties into Roma, uh, which came out last year, which of course was Alfonso Cuarón's uh, kind of look back at his childhood and specifically focusing on Cleo, his uh, previous uh, nanny slash maid um, that, that worked for his family. Um, and that film is so, so precise and so painstakingly recreated uh, to the point where, you know, he made sure it was in uh, black and white and uh, shot on film and uh, doing all of these other things. Uh, to make it period specific, know. yeah. Yeah, and and even to the point where they actually shot on location and then, you know, digitally removed some of the backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, and he, you know, interviewed his own pri uh, prior uh, maid to make sure that he was getting her own details correct in, in her own life and, you know, period details and things of that nature. Um, you know, I, I remember hearing someone ask him about uh, why he has so many planes flying over uh, the in in the courtyard in that film? If you haven't seen it, uh, it opens with a plane flying over this this courtyard in in their home, and the film kind of ends with that as well. And he said, "Well, if you live there, you don't." you don't ask that question like that's just an everyday occurrence it's it's constantly there there's planes coming and going constantly and um you know, it's it's just those little details that he's just like no it's got to be in the film you know it's it's got to happen and you know you think about the the contrast with Pedro Almodovar's you know obviously this is a fictional uh, story. This is not kind of Roma in that it's trying to retell that kind of story. But at the same time, that means that every choice is deliberate. Every choice is, is made. It's manufactured, right? And so why would he set it where he does? Why would he go through, you know, why would he make this character go through all of these physical ailments and, and things of that nature? Um, Sure. And so, yeah, I think, I think, Manuel, you, you had a little bit more insight into, you know, uh, Almodovar's even relationship with his mother that's kind of explored in this film. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he famously always said that he, what he was always trying to capture on film were those moments where he would sit and just eavesdrop all the gossip that was happening sort of around him between his mother and, and all her friends from their small town just sort of a scene that we get in pain and glory where they're doing sort of laundry by the river and then you know rosalia begins singing and then they're all singing and it's a sort of like beautiful moment of sort of community um and, and gossip and he's always said that he what he want what he's always wanted in his films is sort of to capture that kind of um sort of fun storytelling um and that he did it sort of as a, as a celebration with his mom 
Um, but that there was always a little bit of pushback because what he was doing as the mother in Pain and Glory tells Salvador, he's like, you always stole their stories to tell your films. Um, and even, you know, ribs him for saying, telling him, like, you, you haven't really been a good son. Um, and Salvador sort of, like, brushes him off. Um, and, and to me, it's a, it's a moment where what Almodovar is doing is sort of, like, trying to wrestle with conversations that he may or may not have had with his actual mom, um, who passed away a while ago. Um, and putting it on screen and sort of being very introspective about what that has what that has meant to actually curb from his life, curb from his mother's friends' lives, um, to tell stories and what does it mean to put cinema above family? What does it mean to put cinema above uh, truth or about um, gossip? Um, and what does it mean to always be thinking of the movie rather than the life? Yeah, I I think there's something so interesting in his his portrayal of his mother. Like uh, going back to that interview one more time that I mentioned, he had he did say that that scene was not something he necessarily experienced with his life. As as we kind of actually weirdly speculated yesterday, his his mother does not watch his films. Mm. Um, and it's not something he usually talks about with her. He did say that his most direct surrogate for his mother was actually the flower of my secret. But he mm. did say that that exact sequence that we're talking about, which is, you know, so dryly funny, but also, you know, painful in its own way. Uh, he said that he almost channeled the the idea of just being looked at growing up, like this idea of just always feeling weird and it's specifically because of his queerness is what I'd assume, but he didn't obviously label it as such. But um, it, it, it is a portrayal that, you know, isn't, isn't easy. Like it, I, I mean, Almodovar's female characters have always been complicated, extremely complicated. And I, I would argue he's, one of our best writers of uh, female characters, you know, living right now. But um, I, I think that there is something, uh, there's such a careful balance in, in the comedy and also the, the certain, you know, regret and bittersweet quality that goes through it. I mean, I, one scene that we didn't talk about yesterday, which I, I forgot how much, I like, and I, I guess I, it's, um, it's actually taboo in the Spanish tradition, but, uh, his grandmother is talking about when she goes to the grave, how she doesn't want to, uh, she doesn't want to wear shoes, so she'll be lighter. Mm. <laughs> and there's that great line and, uh, the fact that she wants the old rosary rather than the new rosary, which, uh, is something notable too. But I, I think all of those things just go into um, uh, a larger, more, like, complicated portrait that, like, also doesn't become the whole film, <laughs> which I think is what is ultimately so incredible about all these strands. None of them overstay their welcome. And, and we mentioned this yesterday, but, you know, Almodovar has a tendency to have a lot of crazy strands and um, 
I think we meant we said yesterday that uh, his films kind of uh, splinter off. Sure. Right. Uh, you'll follow a character, they'll set him up, and then all of a sudden you take a right turn, and and here we go. We're going down this path. We're following this other character that you barely know. Um, and you know, this film sneakily does that in a way, but instead of having a splinter character, we're following young Salvador instead and then maybe even during this monologue this beautiful moment of of monologue by uh alberto uh using the transcript from uh a play that basically salvador uses as a peace offering between the two of them um even that has flashes of Salvador in his youth right at a different time period so we get three different timelines of Salvador so yes it's not necessarily narratively uh splintered off in terms of character but we still are having a new outlook and new visions and new things bringing to the fold um that's really interesting because, you know, I, I guess Almodovar just cannot tell a, a very, very linear story. So even even something that seems so focused and seems so uh, sincere as this even has his flourishes, you know, um, down to the fact that, yeah, w- when Alberto visits for the first time, he, he remarks that, you know Salvador's place looks like a museum and there's even a sequence where you know they kind of brag about it a little bit when Mercedes is asking him uh hey this museum called they want you know x piece of artwork from this this you know you have two pieces of of this guy's artwork sure would you like to loan them and he's like <laughs> no that they're my only company you know yes and so it's it's just one of those moments where you start to realize that, you know, uh, Almodovar, as much as he's changing and as much as he's using new wrinkles, you still see those those little highlights of him in this film. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I, I think that's totally right. I, I, there is just. Um, Literally forgot what I was going to say. Manuel, you can jump in if you'd like to. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, I'll, I'll jump in and talk a little bit. I, I, the other scene that I wanted to um, sort of Alberto sort of single out not not the Alberto. I wanted to talk about this oh. um, the moment when him as a small child he faints yes. after seeing yes, a beautiful naked man sort of showering himself in his own living room slash backyard slash outdoor space. It's a cave. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's sort of everything at the same time. Um, Cause I think one of the, the things that Almodovar does uh, well, and I think that he does in, in a way that I think no other director, few directors working right now do is really capture the beauty of the male body in a way that's not lustful, in a way that's not sort of lascivious, but that in a way that it's very tender and that it's very um, sort of beautiful. And I think he does that in that scene where 
it's it is a full frontal shot it is a very sort of a, a medium shot um but it's you immediately understand why the kid feels so overwhelmed presumably by the heat and the sun but also presumably by the beauty of this sort of uh, almost statuesque Adonis. Yes, some sort of Adonis <laughs> in front of him. Why? Why he sort of falls and faints. Um, and I think it's the kind of scene that, as with much Almodovar work, sort of skirts the line of taboo. Because I think there's always the the question of we we think we know what the boy sort of sees in the younger man, the old, sure. slightly you know late teens, early twenties. Man, but I think there's always the insinuation that there might also be something reciprocal about the relationship, um, right? The sort of laborer who's helping his mother um, sort of fix up their cave house, uh, you know, enjoys being taught by young Salvador to read and to write, and he's even moved by Salvador to paint him, um, right? And he sort of ends up doing a, a, a beautiful sketch of him just sitting down. Um, and I think there's always, and, and it, but it's just as with the drug thing, you know, when, when you describe it and you say, you know, this sort of older sure. guy has sort of like a fixation with this young boy, you immediately go like, oh, this sounds so, you know, icky and gross. But the movie is a lot more presented in much more complex ways. And then in a little bit less of like, they, they seem to have found a tenderness within one another that's not quite sexual but that there is something that they sort of connect. Um, and I think the moment of fainting sort of captures that. Um, and then the painting itself, which, you know, in true Almodovar fashion, ends up coming back later in the film um, and sort of bookends it in a way. Yeah, there's there's something so interesting about the the kind of constant, not constant, but the the use of taboos within Almodovar's films. I mean, I mean, I can't help but think of The Skin I Live In, in the sense of, mm. you know, I mean, that's a film that when you discuss the logline, it, it seems so easily that it would escape into exploitation. And, you know, like, I, I will say I've, I've, I've heard interpretations that I, I think are fair in both directions, but I do find it very fascinating that it seems like a, a number of trans critics seem to be reclaiming it in recent years, which is, is kind of amazing. <laughs> and, um, but, I, but I digress. My point being though, is that I, I think that the way that he's playing with, uh, taboos and, uh, the skin I live in as well as bad education, which has certainly has some things with consent and, you know, access and, you know, uh, whether a, a desire should be, uh, how it should be viewed. But I, I think, again, that he avoids being exploitative because there's still so much empathy in those situations. And it, it doesn't, it, it exists outside of like a skeeviness or, or th that, that uh, artifice of like sleaze, and and it's interesting because he's certainly played with that before in the past, but the the ways I think that he mixes together uh, that incredibly like cinematic uh, quality to his films, and you know this very raw. Uh, 
just raw human emotion is, is something that it seems like he's only getting better at with age. And, um, yeah, that, that does kind of lead me to, um, the last scene, which I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Uh, we, we skipped over Alberto a little bit and one of the main plot threads that kind of leads to everything else we've already talked about is uh, Alberto doing a monologue that uh, Salvador wrote. And it was about this former relationship with Federico and when he was in the throes of a heroin addiction. And uh, it's also about his love for cinema. There's this wonderfully gaudy but beautiful line that uh cinema reminds him of uh uh urine and jasmine um i and i i think that that scene is almost a in a way it is a very tidy encapsulation of what manuel was talking about in terms of the end scene and you know the go ahead Bill. well I mean, that is one of those moments where, you know, anytime you have a a film that plays with timeline, right, like this does, that's these little details about how uh, Federico was in the throes of a heroin addiction, and that's why they ended up splitting up. Salvador sure. and Federico ended up splitting up because he was just in the throes of heroin addiction amidst this love, you know, fest that they were kind of having. Uh, I think it was like a two-year period where they were just touring the country and, and making love and, and having a blast. And all of a sudden, he started getting skinnier and started having all these issues. And then they realized that he was addicted to heroin and he was like, like, I spent all day with you. How, like, when did this start? And, you know, we start to realize how painful it was because he literally had to leave him. He couldn't, he couldn't help him anymore. And so Salvador had to leave and... He mentions that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't hold it against Federico because with that his passion turned towards film and, and he was able to focus and, and and do that. But at the same time, when he starts to take that first bump of heroin at the very beginning of the film, you realize how much of a a kind of this weird uh stain that that particular drug has had on his life and for him to come 360 degrees and end up taking it at that moment just kind of shows you how low he was at that present time how how he wasn't feeling like you know he really uh, had that kind of vivacity um, I think at, at some point they mention uh I think he's reading a book uh, constantly and he keeps kind of falling back and forth between sleep. And one of the quotes from the book is that it would just be easier to just stop, right? And so suicide is definitely t- 
touched on just a little bit in this film and you could understand why he would take heroin at that moment to just maybe see what Federico saw but again it's one of those reveals that it's so late in the game but it it kind of tinges everything that happened before in a different light you know it it wasn't just an innocent hit of heroin it was something that had destroyed his life before you know um not not him himself but someone that he loved and so for him to take heroin at that moment is such a betrayal of all of that um Bill? and so that peppers oh. how you see the rest of the film yep. yeah we lost you for a, a half a second me? but no um yeah okay. I, yeah I don't know I, I I I'm almost with Manuel that I don't want to fixate too much on heroin but it is nonetheless such a it, it is oddly you know the thing that causes so much of the film to exist like it, it mm. it's it's unavoidable in, in, a, in a certain way to discuss even as even as I, I worry whether talking too much about it uh, gives it an an unfair significance or something. I, I don't know. I guess I'm of two minds about it. Well, I, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, we have to remember that this is not a biography, right? This is not an autobiography. This is not autofiction, or I, I guess this is, yeah. this is autofiction, right? Yeah, that's is the that, term. Is that the proper mm-hmm. term for this? So, so I mean, this is a, a created fictional story, right? Um, and so for heroin to have this kind of significance moving back, moving forward throughout hmm. this film, I don't think that's necessarily just something that that he created, right? It's it's obviously intentional. It wouldn't be heroin that Federico came down with that he ends up taking as as his drug right then, right? It would be something else. It would be ecstasy or cocaine or, you know, it, I mean, look, you could roll a dice and hit any number of illicit drugs out there. He said that um, he has not done heroin, so I think, but he, cocaine was his drug of choice. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, you know, it, it's interesting to think about that, but it's also interesting to think about, uh, in a way, how good heroin is to uh, Salvador, because it is the reason that he ends up kind of sparking this this Pun story, intended. right? Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. Uh, it it gets it gets his creative juices flowing, and that's when uh, Alberto finds that story right, and he he mentions it, and as a peace offering, he uh, Salvador gives it to him to perform as a play, and so from that point, then it turns into that play gets performed which leads Federico to discover that Salvador is still around, right? And then that leads to their meeting, which leads to Salvador giving up heroin, which leads to then Salvador fixing himself, right? Um, Reaching out for help, and then ultimately creating what we end up seeing on screen uh, as the flashbacks, right? That's pretty Um, convincing. So... (laughs) 
that it, it it is but i think it's like, also uh, i think yeah, to, to, to I, michael's point in a way i think like we're uh, sort of <laughs> i'd be it'd be weird to describe pain and glory as a heroine film sure no and and i don't i don't want it to to come off that way but i want it to be you i want it to be viewed as the linchpin that keeps kind of moving all of these pieces around salvador's life right it could be anything it could be it could be ecstasy it could be weed it could be uh a joint it pills could be, uh, yeah good tequila <laughs> it could be it could be any number of things right but i think there's there's something potent about the way that you know federico had this passionate love of both salvador and heroin right he he i, I mean choose what you want to think about addiction right is it love is it is it is it something different than that i'm not sure right um the love can be destructive just as much as an addiction can um and so uh, it, it's fascinating that that was the drug that they kind of centered on right um and that's the drug that comes right back around into salvador's life that he ends up taking towards you know to- towards when he is low but yeah i, I mean again I think it's a it's it's one of these key pieces in a giant you know system of of cogs that ends up kind of propulsing this the story of of Salvador's. Um, so it's it's not a heroine story so much as all of these key kind of uh, moments keep kind of centering around this use of this particular drug that is seen more recreationally in Salvador's time or at least the present time uh, versus some mm-hmm. kind of addictive mm-hmm. thing. Uh, Manuel, uh, did you have any final thoughts? What I'll say as a, as a final thought, I think um, I'll just echo what I think Bill said a couple, uh, a while ago when he said that the film works as a perfect introduction to Almodovar and I think it's a perfect um, entry point into his work and I think hopefully it leads more people to uh, go back and see his previous collaborations with Antonio and go see his previous collaborations with Penelope. Um, cause I think there, there is a lot of, there are a lot of Easter eggs. There are a lot of like beautiful callbacks. Um, and it really enriches your experience, um, for a film that already, even on its own is, is so, uh, it's so moving and so thought provoking. And I think, you know, the, the fact that we've been able to talk about it uh, twice and sort of retread some things, but found new avenues of thinking about it, I think speaks to um, sort of what a wonderful, wonderful piece of cinema it is. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the Film Stage show this week. Uh, thank you to our guest, uh, Manuel Betancourt. And, uh, and, and now you can hear uh, where to find us these days. So, Bill... What are you up to these uh, days? Not too much. Just kicking around, uh, waiting for some screeners to come in and uh, uh, getting to all these great films and uh, just mixing it up on the Slack channel. And then, uh, of course, on Twitter at CableBFG, where I'm about as silent as a mouse. But, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, that's when <laughs> uh, when I usually kind of start to pump out my uh, my glorious, glorious content, as we like to call it. <laughs> too much 
content talk on this episode. Jeez. And uh, Manuel, what are you doing? You can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is bmanuel, um, or you can find my website for more of my writing. That's www.mbetancourt.com. And you have a book as well coming next year. I do. Um, I have a book on Judy Garland live at Carnegie Hall coming out next year as part of the 33 and a third um, series. So it's an entire an entire book all about the live double album. Um, and it'll be coming out May 2020. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Snydell, where I am uh, pumping out my own content. Oh, oh that. No. no, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, let's rescind that one. But yeah, I have been doing a little capsule. Too late. The tweet has been sent. Film festival. (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, everyone, (laughs) but, uh, you can also look forward to a podcast about the Chicago international film festival, probably early next week. Uh, we are still seeing films every day. Uh, and, and by we, I mean me and Max O'Connell. So look forward to that. And then, you know, maybe we'll just talk about Joker for another two hours. No, we're definitely not talking about Joker. (laughs) But uh, either way, I look forward to that. And thank you again for joining us on the Film State Show. And I scream.